Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Hello, amazing people, and congratulations once again on your superb taste and outstanding pursuit of quality information and entertainment. If you have stumbled on this podcast for the first time, though, well done to you on your dumb luck. For it just so happens you have joined us for another sterling episode of Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. And of course, this show would only be little more than a two-word title without our Tech Talk and boffin. Welcome, Matthew Dickerson. Another another busy week done and dusted for you in your diary? Absolutely right. Always good fun, always busy, but it's always exciting when you see just a bit of a shift in the attitudes and things that are occurring. And so this week... One of the exciting things I had the opportunity to do was to go and participate in the launch of a new EV brand that's being brought into Australia. Now, we've talked about it before, that Australia's been probably at the lower end. Yeah, a little bit backward in coming forward. Yeah, Uh for a whole range of reasons, maybe some government policies, maybe some social commentary that's occurred around EVs. So most companies around the world have said, we've got some EVs, we've got limited supply, let's go to mm, Norway that supports these, or Australia which doesn't support these, Hmm, let's go to Norway, or countries Mm. of similar nature where they're really supportive of EVs. Australia has been at the bottom end, but... Maybe there's a little shift happening now. Maybe there's a few little incentives in place. We've talked before about the FPT exemption. Seen a couple of little symptoms of of the winds of change blowing. Yeah, that's right. And some little things with rebates and stamp duty exemption. So that sounds good. So what I was really impressed with with this particular car that's being launched and it launches in a couple of weeks' time, what I was really impressed with, it, they didn't just say, here's a new EV or just roll it out and put it on some showroom floors. It's a traditional brand that's out there didn't just roll out and put it on the showroom floor and hope people came along and bought it. They said, let's get serious about this. So they presumably, I don't know how much they spent, but they had a proper film crew and they were filming around the streets of Sydney and they had me to talk about EVs in general. And so they presumably spent a few dollars on ramping up ready for a major launch into the Australian market. And I was pretty excited about the whole concept. I went, wow, this company is taking the Australian market seriously, Mm. which I think then will create a bit of a domino effect. There'll be other companies who will say, oh, brand X is doing something a bit serious. We better not left be left left behind behind, we'll go and do a major launch of our new ev or other brands and we know there's some brands like vw who have some good brands around the world but you can't buy them in australia Mm. so i think what you'll see is some of those brands will say oh look at that they're doing a major launch of that brand. Another brand has now followed. We've got no models in Australia. We should do something about that. Let's go and take our models into the nation. So mm. I just saw a bit of a change. Maybe yeah. I wouldn't go so far as to say a paradigm shift, but maybe just the first step towards some change there, which is pretty exciting. Giving it a nudge nevertheless. A nudge, definitely. All right, let's dive straight into our first story now. Apple has made some big announcements about what is new on their shelves. Get your notepads out, folks. Hit it, Matt. Well, I'm excited, James. We're, we all are excited. <laughs> and I Give watched, me your best. I, that's, that's it. I watched the Apple launch 3 o'clock on Thursday morning in our time, 3 a.m. on Thursday morning, and I got up. My son happened to be home from uni, so he got dragged up somewhat willingly, but maybe <laughs> the night before he was more willing than at 3 o'clock in the morning yeah, when I said, right. let's get up. And we got up to watch the Apple launch, and I could not help but be excited because it seemed to me like every presenter – use the word excited as their basic phrase, as their, Uh, rather than hello, it was I'm excited, I'm incredibly excited, I'm really excited. (laughs) And it's an American thing maybe, apologies to any Americans out there, they're involved in the presentation game, but sometimes 
you see people who are excited and you can't help but be excited. The enthusiasm, the infectious enthusiasm catches on. But Americans tend to tell you they're excited. A bit yeah. like, I'm excited. <laughs> Which sometimes you don't feel it, but this is what they do. So they're excited. And they also talked regularly about the best in the iPhone range, the best battery life in the iPhone range, the best camera. And you kind of hope so. You kind yeah. of think you've got a new phone out. Well, you know, <laughs> it's a last bit year's model, yeah. a bit better, but we had a bit of a crack and we didn't quite nail it. <laughs> it's average. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. So you expect it to be the best. But having said that, I do actually want to pose a bit of a problem to you, which I think is the major problem that technology companies, and probably around phones in particular, are having at the moment. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering, like, how do you make something, what's the what's going to be a whiz-bang feature that's going to blow people away these days? That is it, and that's the problem you have. Back in 2007, when they first, uh, launched the first iPhone, there were some smartphones around, but the iPhone really broke the mould of those smartphones, so it was revolutionary, and we've mm. had many revolutionary features over those years. But now it's at the point where... I think Zeno's dichotomy paradox applies. And <laughs> the course, what, the who, <laughs> and the when? The dichotomy paradox <laughs> is it's a, an abstract concept, and the idea is that if I need to get from where I am now to, say, the other side of the room or the other side of the football field, well, you've got to agree that to get to the other side of the football field, I've got to get halfway there. First. That's the first step. That's right. Get Before halfway. I can get all the way, I've got to get halfway. And it takes me a finite amount of time to get halfway. Mm -hmm. And then when I'm at that halfway point, I've got to get another halfway to the other side of the field. So like a quarter of the distance. Quarter of the distance okay, in total. All right. So I keep doing that. But if I keep doing that and each step has to take me a finite amount of time. You're dividing every little step by half. Yeah. I can never get there. And I remember when I was at uni, one of the first lectures, one of the first lectures in pure mathematics. I'm sure I've been able to cross a football field in the past. Anyway. Well, that's the thing. So you damn theoretical physicists come up with these problems that are obviously solved in the real world. But I remember it was actually a pure maths lecture the first time I saw this concept back at uni. And it was, I think it was the first lecture I went to, but maybe I'm romanticising it now. Maybe it was some lecture randomly through the year. Uh, how but you remember it is the most important thing. That's right. Well, definitely the first lecture then. And this lecture was very animated. I thought he was very good and really captured the attention. He's standing on one side and he's demonstrating this. So he would give a stopwatch to a student down the front of the lecture hall and he'd sprint halfway across and they'd stop, we use a stopwatch to time him and then he'd get another jump and it'd be a smaller jump across. And he got to the other side and he's obviously taking minuscule little steps. And so they'll still stopwatch you know, on the stopwatch. Oh, that took, I don't know, one-tenth of a second, one-twentieth, however quick they could hit it on the stopwatch basically. And I feel like that's kind of where we are with a lot of this technology now. Yeah. Those big steps were taken many years ago, and now we're just trying to fine-tune, just twist a little bit. What extra little tiny thing can we add on? Yeah. So those steps are Things now... Things like battery life and whatnot. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. So let me just run through, because they still are important announcements they make when mm. Apple makes an announcement. Yeah, yeah. So I'll still run through them, but I just do feel like we aren't making those big first steps. We're down at the... 132nd or 164th mm. or 1128th. But it's almost like um, we need we need to find that that new thing that you and I and no one else, I presume, has imagined yet. We need someone to imagine something that they that's never been imagined before. Well, there's two really interesting concepts, I think, being in one of these particular companies. The first thing is I've got to have some people who are dreamers. You just go and dream up these wonderful concepts. What do you want to do? Mm. I don't know. Go and smoke some marijuana. Not that I'm recommending we smoke <laughs> marijuana, but go and dream big and come up with some concepts. And then you've got another group of people who say, well, 
that's just not going to happen with our current technology for the next 50 years. Or, yeah. oh, I can see that we could work on that dreamy idea. And with the technology we've got now, we could get that to market in two or three or five years' time, whatever it might be. So you need some practical look at the dreaming ideas mm. and then you need to hand it to another team that says now you're going to do all the hard work the R&D to actually produce that well as you say we're not promoting it at all but uh, the Beatles came up with some pretty good tunes on LSD didn't they so um, <laughs> they did so <laughs> so that's what you know, no, I'm not recommending it but that's <laughs> but the kind of thing I feel if like you want to you imagine need. something that's never been imagined before mm, okay that's right so let's just talk very briefly I won't go into too much detail because Presumably our listeners are in tune with technology. They might have read about some of these things. So I'm just going to talk about a few of the highlights and the missing things that I saw in some of the models that were announced or some of the items that were announced on Thursday morning. Mm. So, so the these fir- are the best. These are just the little snippets there. Yeah. Rather than drill down into every detail, just a few little snippets there to, to whet people's appetite. And I suppose just to give people my impression of the little things that I saw there that maybe were those little incremental changes. So in the iPhone 14, so this is not the Pro, Go back to the old iPhone 13 days, they had the normal sized one, which was 6.1 inch, and they had a mini. And the mini was not a bad model, I thought, because people who had old iPhone 8s, for example, they didn't really like the bigger phones. They put it in their top pocket, they leaned over, it fell out, it mm. smashed. So they wanted something smaller. So I thought the mini was a good idea, but the mini didn't sell. Mm. So everyone wants bigger. Bigger is better, apparently. <laughs> so what they've done in the iPhone 14 is they've can, the Mini, the Mini's gone, and they've now gone to the iPhone 14 Plus. So now in your Pro range and your normal range, you've got two phones, 6.1-inch normal, 6.7-inch is the Plus or the Max size phone, depending on which model. So that's a big change, not a big advance in technology, but a big change. And then just by having slightly better processing power, the cameras have improved slightly, again, not dramatic. If you're planning on having a car crash, then you definitely need the iPhone 14 because it's now got crash detection. If you have a crash, it detects you've had a crash. Hopefully it hasn't smashed and then it contacts the emergency authorities for you. So you've had fall detection before. So I know my Apple Watch sometimes goes off and thinks I've had some sort of fall because I'm out on my mountain bike. I go over a jump, I land hard, and then I hear my or feel my phone or watch vibrating on my wrist saying, oh, it looks like you've had a fall. Press this button if you haven't had a fall. So that's the sort of thing they're building now with crash detection. And the one that I was really excited about, this is probably one of those changes that maybe is the exciting one, is that you've now got the concept of emergency text messages via satellite. So Uh if you're out of range of normal mobile phone towers and you're walking across the desert or out in the boondock somewhere and you get bitten by a snake or attacked by a killer kangaroo, whatever it might be, then all you've got to do is be awake enough, not too much blood loss we hope, to point your phone at the sky. It'll then tune into where the satellites are. You can have some predetermined messages or basically send off a text to the emergency authorities and then that will come back to your location. You can't just send a text to you, James, and say, hi, James, I'm out here in the middle of the desert. Yeah, I'm having a great time. That's not what it's designed for. It's designed for emergencies. But only if you have an emergency in North America or Canada. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) It will come to Australia. It will come around the rest of the world because, let's face it, satellites are going around the whole planet. But at the moment, only operational in North America and Canada. But I like the concept. Yeah. And I thought, we might have even talked about it, James. I thought that might have been coming out last year, but they didn't quite get it right. This year, obviously, they've announced that one. So that's an interesting one. The other thing that I think is interesting is they stayed with the lightning connector. Now, we know... Oh, we were talking about how they were going away from it. Yeah, we know that in Europe, you'll have to have USB-C by the end of next year, I think it is. So I thought they might have taken that step, 
but I've also read some commentary that says they make that much money out of licensing other devices with a lightning port, they might as well stick with those lightning ports and lightning cables for the next year or so because it'll add so many millions of dollars to their bottom line. So yeah, right. we're stuck with the lightning connector on this stage. The Pro, when I go to the Pro, now only Apple, only Apple could get away with this, James. You've got the notch at the top of the phone in the Pro and the standard size phone, in the standard phone. Now, they've had a bit of criticism over the notch. Other phones haven't had as big a notch. What <laughs> Apple have done now is they've reduced the size of the notch. Well done. Congratulations. Other companies have done that before. So you've done a good job. But it wasn't good enough just to call it a smaller notch. So they've now called the smaller notch the Dynamic Island. <laughs> <laughs> so, for you and I, it's a smaller notch. It's a smaller notch. But the Dynamic Island is basically a notch there that they can have grow and have other notifications come into as a way of making it look like the notch is a really useful thing. It's not. It's annoying. But they've <laughs> built in some other functions to make it look like it's really yeah, great. Right. So, Dynamic Island, same size screen as last year, 6.1, 6.7. They have finally gone to always on display, which is great because when you're in a meeting, you're at your phone sitting on the desk yeah. and you go, oh, how long till this meeting is finally finished? And you glance down at your phone. It's a bit obvious when you go and just touch the phone screen yep. to look at the time. Always on display. You can glance down and go, oh, I've got 18 minutes left of this meeting. Thank goodness. So, always on display, <laughs> as the name suggests, keeps the phone on. They do that by reducing the refresh rate down to one hertz. Oh, so okay. it's only refreshing the screen once a second. Once a second. That's right. And it's still frequent enough. It's frequent enough. Let's face it, if we're looking at the time, it's only changing once a minute. We don't really care about once a second sort of accuracy. So that's a, a big change. The camera, the main camera has been upgraded from 12 megapixels to 48, which sounds a lot, but I want to look at that a bit more in a bit more detail. I want to get my hands on one and have a good play with it because I'm not sure what methodology they've used for that, whether they've just done some sneaky things with pixels and not really increased it by four times or whether they've actually increased that sensor to four times the resolution there. And again, they stayed with the lightning connector on the Pro Series. Very briefly, the Apple Watch Series 8 was announced. Probably the exciting thing there is a, a temperature sensor. Now, they did focus a lot on women's health, mainly getting to the point where you can see when you might be ovulating if you're a female by checking temperatures. But I think the temperature sensor will be good for other health aspects. And COVID-19 is one of those things that I'm obviously thinking of there to pick yeah. up if you've got something there. You've got the crash detection feature, which again, we've talked about in the phones. International roaming, that's a good one because the Apple Watch hasn't been able to roam internationally. So you've got to have your phone near you within Bluetooth range if you go overseas. Now the watch itself will have international roaming, so that's mm. probably a good one. And they've also introduced the, Ultra, uh, the Apple Watch Ultra, and that's basically a ruggedized version made of titanium, a bigger display, 49mm display. So you can wear it mountain climbing. Mountain climbing, and for people like you and I, essential. Extreme athletes, long endurance, yeah. athlete, long endurance athletes, they're the sort of people, or if we want to dive to lower or, or to a greater depth than 50 metres, this will go to 100 metres now. So okay. I know when you and I have been diving before, yeah, scuba yeah, diving, yeah. we've gone damn, we're at 48 metres, we can't go any yeah. deeper because our <laughs> Apple Watch won't help I us out. I the surface because my watch is about to break. That's right, that's exactly yeah, it. it so happens. that'll go to 100 metres. But the other good thing, it's got 36-hour battery life. So those ultra marathons we run that go longer than 18 hours, typically, then we now can have our Apple Watch Ultra to go up to 36 hours. Very so, good. Yeah. And probably the last one, the AirPods Pro Gen 2, a bit of better noise cancelling. You've got six hours of battery life, which is a bit better. And they've got a touch control on the side of them for volume. And I must admit, when I'm using my AirPods, I say, hey, Siri, turn the volume down, turn the volume up. 
and it gets it right, you know, occasionally, so <laughs> not great. So having a touch control on the side for volume. Yeah. So that's a very quick snapshot, very quick summary, a few little features on there, some minor improvements in battery life, just some things like the cameras. But, yeah, then maybe the satellite you'd call revolutionary, but really more evolutionary, I'd say, at this stage. So maybe the really big news is to come in 2024. Well, maybe we're never going to see big news again in smartphones until... Well, actually, here's my... I'll go and put myself in the dreamer category. I loved it when we got the phones that came out before smartphones came along. They they were getting smaller and smaller. Mm. And there's one in particular. It was a Nokia, a little Nokia flip phone, and it would fit in the coin pocket of my jeans. I don't have to make coin pockets anymore. Too easy to lose, though, yeah? Oh, no, it was great. I loved it. And then the next phone I bought was about six times bigger. (laughs) What I want is a phone that small that still fits in the coin pocket of my jeans if I had a coin pocket, but then when I open up and use it, I want it to be like a 30-inch monitor. Mm. So I don't know if I'm dreaming too much there, but that's all I want in the next one. So until that revolution comes along, I think we're going to keep seeing these little evolutionary steps. Well, I need to see holograms. I want to see a hologram coming out of my phone. Well, maybe that would be... Maybe Help combine. me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're our only hope. Well, maybe we can combine your idea and my idea. So get the little tiny phone, and when you open oh. it up, it became a hologram, so you could see a, a real life-size image of what you're after. That's all we want for next We've year. We've dreamed it. Okay. Right. Well, it is September, folks, and you all know what that means. It's time for the International Funkostaldung Berlin. I believe that's how you pronounce it. And Matt, what were the big highlights from 2022's International Funkostaldung in Berlin? Berlin. <laughs> that's not to be confused with the Funkostaldung in uh, Wagga Wagga. That's uh, three times I've heard it pronounced differently now. <laughs> okay. I'm oh, impressed, though. Funk Stellung. Setlung. Oh, I don't even... I can't. Uh, it just sounds like you're trying to be off Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> and then put that accent on and then just say the word. Uh, I normally call it the Berlin Radio Show. Right. So that okay. sounds a bit easier for me to pronounce. My apologies to every uh, native... German out there um, well, for my ignorance. Probably every person across the world, actually. Yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> so it is a big event, the IFA, I'll call it, the Berlin IFA. 250,000 people attend this particular show, bigger than the Las Vegas Consumer Electronics Show, so it's big across the world. All right, yeah. All I've done for our listeners is picked out my five favourite things from this particular show. So the first one is Safeware Airbags. The name gives a little bit of it away. We're great with airbags in cars. We've advanced that technology to a very good level. And so someone thought maybe people in the construction industry should have some sort of safety in what they wear now. Lots of people have got harnesses. They've got a rope or some sort of attachment to whatever they're working on. But people still, unfortunately, do fall off construction sites and they do sometimes die or are badly injured. If you wear this little backpack and it kind of covers around the front as well, which only weighs 1.82 kilograms and you're working below about seven meters, then this is for you, James. The Safeware airbag will go off within 0.2 of a second if it detects that you're falling, you're accelerating at a certain rate, it'll go off ready to soften your fall. So I'm three meters up a ladder Yep. and I fall off, no worries. Within 0.2 of a second, bang. Airbag's out. You bounce around. I imagine it'd be fun, actually. You bounce around for a little while. The airbags deflate. You go, phew, lucky I have that on. Presumably, you've got to go and buy another one then. I don't think you can fill it back up or squash it back in like a parachute. comes over and yells at you. That's right. So 0.2 of a second it deploys. As long as you're far enough above the ground to have it deploy in that particular time, uh, let's just do a quick bit of 
physics here, S equals UT plus half AT squared. That's so right. half AT squared, 0.2 squared times 10. That means that 0.2 squared is about... One, uh, point 0.04 times 4.9 it would be. So a half AT, yep, sorry. So yeah. yeah, I was going for five just to make it easier for me. So <laughs> so so basically five times four, so two so you're falling above two meters, it'll go off in time. Fall below yeah. two meters, then you'll hit the ground and then it'll go off. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a very bit of rough physics we're just doing there, but that gives you a bit of an idea there at the height. So that sounds like a pretty good thing, I thought, for people that do work in the construction industry. The next one, we've talked about some of these before, but this one seems to have absolutely nailed it, a sonic toothbrush. Now, it boasts... Oh, that sounds like something from Doctor Who. It, it sounds like something from Sonic the Hedgehog even, but, <laughs> but, but it boasts that it can clean your teeth better than a toothbrush and it does it all in 10 seconds. Now, I just don't have time to clean my teeth for two minutes like you meant to. <laughs> I feel like, oh, sure, that's long enough now. Oh, it's 20 seconds. I keep going. Oh, it's only 40 seconds now. This is like a mouth guard. You put it in, it's got top bristles, bottom bristles, it's got bristles for the outside and the inside of your teeth. You turn it on for 10 seconds and it basically scrubs back in front of your teeth all the right way, up and I'm down. I'm guessing no brush. It's just it just vibrates and it vibrates the hell out of um, <laughs> well all uh, the, the stuff that's stuck in your teeth. It, it did seem to talk about some nylon brushes, approximately oh, okay. 35,000 nylon brushes. Oh. So, oh, okay. Yeah, so they do vibrate. I think you're right on that part of it, but yeah. I think the brushes vibrate. So maybe it's a combination Sorry. of vibration with some brushes rather than vicious scrubbing, which might just scrub your gums off. But I like the idea that in 10 seconds I've cleaned my teeth and I feel more comfortable. And you've saved it. yourself a minute 50. That's right. And I feel good about my oral health as well. That's good. The next one's the Invoxia Smart Dog Collar. Now, we've talked about Smart Dog Collars before, but this one is the first one in the world that uses the 4G LTE M network. Now, this is a low-powered version of the 4G network so that you can put it on something like a dog collar, have a small battery, and it will last for a long period of time because it's only a very low-powered version. It's only transmitting very small amounts of data. Now, what it does do is it tracks things like your dog's heart rate, its respiratory rate. It can manage to see how often it scratches, it barks, it eats, how well it sleeps, and most importantly, and I want this for one of our dogs, it will track its location. And you can see real, live time on your phone <laughs> where this dog might be. Because I've got Milo and Otis here, and uh, they're disappearing down the river and off in, on adventures and whatnot, yeah? Well, this is it. I've got one of our dogs who we call Houdini, because we might lock the dogs outside the gate sometimes accidentally, and one of the dogs will sit there and bark, and we go, oh, we've left one of the dogs out, and we go and let the dog in. We look for the other dog, and we look... And the dog's already inside. And we went, how did that happen? What <laughs> part of the, the yard did this dog get through? And how did it get there? And how did it get inside? It's and teleportation. Well, it might be. And I'm not sure if this particular dog collar is good enough to pick up teleportation. But <laughs> if it is, then that's what I need. So I want to get one of these just to track how that dog gets through our fence. The next one is one that I thought of, just hopefully my wife's not listening at the moment, but I thought of this for a Christmas present for my wife. It's a next-level shoe rack made by LG. Now, they do talk about this being specifically for millennials and Gen Z, which my wife doesn't quite fit into those two categories. But I did realise it wasn't for my wife because you normally only put about, say, 16 to 20 pairs of shoes in this, and that would only be about 10% of my wife's shoe collection. So it wouldn't be good <laughs> I'm enough. I'm hearing you. I'm there. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. So what it does is it, it's a little stackable device that you can put individual shoe boxes in the shoe's sitting there on a rotating turntable because who knows, you might need a rotating turntable, why not? Yeah. So you've got that 
But what it does do is it uses their true steam technology to keep them clean and uses zero dry filters to absorb the smells in your particular footwear. You so you put them in there. It's easy to see which pair of shoes you want. Oh, that's my Monday jogging shoes. So I'll get those out. Oh, don't they smell nice? <laughs> They're nice and clean. And away you go. There's also little lights underneath the turntable so you can see those shoes very easily. All LEDs, I assume, to make it nice and low power. The last one is LG again unveiled a couple of new TVs and the first one they did is the world's largest OLED TV. This TV is a 97-inch monster, two metres What's across. What's in real speak? Well, two, two metres? Two metres across. Oh, yeah, right. so they, of course, measure the inches, those silly old-fashioned yeah, yeah. inches in diagonal, but just to give you an idea, two metres across. Two metres across. So that's a fair-sized TV. OLED seemed to be something that... Sounds we, like a bed. <laughs> it does sound like a bed. It seemed to be something that with OLED we kind of went to the stage where... We didn't seem to think we could go to really big TVs. But in this case, you know, it's not a bad size TV. Oh. But they also unveiled their new LED. And LED seems to be used for larger TVs at 136 inches. And before you ask the question, that's <laughs> 3.8 metres wide and 2.1 metres high. Wow. Now, I'm not sure. Maybe I have got ceilings that are 2.1 <laughs> metres high. But I reckon that would pretty much do. That's going to need a purpose-built room. It, it does, doesn't it? Because I don't – oh, maybe it would. Maybe my ceilings would be a bit over 2.1 metres. But – not much. So I've got then a TV that goes from essentially wall, floor to ceiling, which seems like a pretty big TV. Oh, wow. I won't give you the prices, A, because it might give you a heart attack, and B, because I don't know them, but I imagine they're not cheap. So <laughs> LG did say that despite its gigantic size, the TV still retains its premium picture quality on an impressive scale. I think the other thing that you'd need to do is actually have a lounge room Big enough, yeah. long enough. You've got to sit back from that. I don't think sitting a metre away from that is going to be good for your neck, <laughs> is it, or your eyes. I did actually do the calculation. I've got one of my articles I wrote where I looked at the definition that the human eye can pick up, and I took about average 20-20 vision, looked at the definition they can pick up, and I actually did the calculation as to how far away you'd need to sit at a TV at a certain size, pixel size, to give you an idea of whether you should actually get an 8K TV or a 4K TV. And surprisingly enough, our resolution of our site is not, that great that you get to these really high definitions, you can't really pick the difference unless yeah. you're up really close. So <laughs> you sit back in a normal lounge room with a 4K or an 8K TV, you're probably not going to pick the difference. But when you get to 136 inches, then you'll be able to pick the difference. Oh, wow. That's a big telly. By all accounts, early diagnosis of cancer is our best defence against the big scourge. We can poke and prod ourselves on a daily basis, but that comes with a degree of uncertainty that can really play with your mind, and no one wants to be a hypochondriac. Well, a new breast cancer scanner that allows women and men to do regular checks of themselves in the comfort and convenience of their own home has picked up a major design award in the UK recently. Matt, what a fantastic little domestic unit this thing is. Yeah, definitely. And Dyson, who many people know, a very good technology company, Vacuum cleaners, what most people know them for, but they do do a whole range of technology products. They've got an award in the UK each year where they do try and encourage people to come up with different ideas. Show us an example of that. I imagine that somewhere along the line, Dyson might want to be the company that actually gets <laughs> to manufacture that. But yeah. I'm not being too cynical here. They do give some money to people to help develop those products. They do talk about the fact that when people do come and win one of their awards and they have various finalists in various stages, the ones that get to the final stages, only about one in five of them actually make it as a commercial product. I imagine there's a whole range of reasons for that, commercial viability of it, how much it costs to manufacture, how much it costs to sell, all the rest of it. This is one of those, in my 
wild ideas of what I know about products and without knowing a lot of detail here, I reckon this is going to be one of those that makes it to mm. full commercial reality. Because one of the big things about breast cancer is that if you can pick it up at stage one, you've got about a 95% survival rate. Mm. If you get to stage four before you finally pick it up, you've only got about a 25% survival rate. Yeah. So picking it up early is crucial. And in the UK alone, and again, this story is based on the UK, there's Dyson Award, about 11,500 deaths from breast cancer. Now, you can imagine, based on those stats, that most of those would be late stage. So this particular device is something that you do when it's commercially available, buy the device, and you rub it over your breast while connected to an app, Bluetooth connection to the app, and it will give you an indication of what it's finding. That's almost like a very small ultrasound device. So rather than go in, and it's not pleasant to go in, and I haven't had it done, but I can imagine when a female goes in for a breast check or a breast cancer check, then taking your top off and standing there and putting your breasts inside a device and being wobbled and pushed around by a stranger is not the most fun experience and mm. not something that people want to go and do every day. But if you do this at home, and again, the very the, the creators of this said it's very important that this will give you some initial indications. It's not going to be comprehensive, but if you find something there initially, alarm bells go off, go and get a proper check done. But if it finds nothing there, nothing at all to look at, then feel confident that everything's okay. And then you can go and do another check in a week's time if you want, or a month's time, whatever it might be. So the idea is that you could do more regular checks, mm. happy days. And it could be logging um, your history as well yeah. um, to, to give you a closer, well, diagnosis, I guess. Yeah, that's right. So all it's looking for is unusual knots, they're calling them. So unusual knots in the breast. Finds an unusual knot, that's when it starts saying you need to go and have this checked out a bit more mm. professionally. So I think the idea there would be an easy thing to do. I'm not sure how often they recommend doing it, but let's say once a month, first day of each month, pull this out, five minutes later I've had a check. There we go. I feel confident. Oh, no, there's something there. And again, most people, if they knew there was something there, then they'd go and have a check. But most people go, ah, oh, it's not going to happen to me. Mm. It'll be right. I know my neighbour and my friend and my sister, they all had the problem, but it's not going to happen to me, so I'll ignore it for a bit longer yet. And so this is just one of those ways to encourage people. And I think this is a bit of a secret here, James. The more we can do in some home testing in a range of different ways, a range of different things, and I think of prostate cancer for men, no one really likes to go and have the prostate cancer inspection done because it's not that pleasant either. But again, same thing, early detection. I don't have the stats at the top of my head, but early detection. Now, I'm probably going down a, a very bad path here, James. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not imagining someone coming up with some sort of prostate cancer inspection device, but that type of thing where you're, you're taking the place of... I think they do a blood test these days, don't they? So um, it might be just a case of just taking a little pinprick blood test. Well, that it might be that as well. So the more that people can come up with in terms of getting some of those initial health inspections done, I think the better it will be for the whole health of all our society. And that's the thing that I suppose I find disappointing is when you hear about a friend or someone in your society, your community that dies from something that would have been preventable if mm. only they'd had it inspected Much early enough. Really, yeah. And that's the real challenge, trying to get those inspections done, especially males. I mean, this is for females, obviously, but males are terrible at getting any preventative maintenance done. Mm. Well, yeah, absolutely dynamic and absolutely uh, revolutionary if they can get it off the ground. And while we're on the subject of helpful little units, from the land that brought us square watermelons, butter graters and umbrella ties, Japanese scientists have now developed remote-controlled cyborg cockroaches, folks. Of course they have, because that was obviously the next logical step in technology. 
Matt, there's got to be a logical explanation here, and hopefully it doesn't involve a Batman villain. <laughs> it could, actually. That could be a good plot there, but <laughs> don't give it too much away there. Now, there's always this whole thing, James, that if we had a complete nuclear war in the world, the only thing that would survive oh, would be cockroaches. cockroaches, yeah. That's right, and I'm not convinced that's true. <laughs> I think cockroaches would actually have a bit of a problem with radiation. So I'm not sure if you have any more data on that, but well, I... Th- we could try it and have a nuclear war and just see what happens. <laughs> that might seem a drastic way to try it. Maybe we could think of a better way to try it. But cockroaches are pretty – they're not indestructible and certainly uh, – It's all about the fat bodies. If you've ever st- stepped on a cockroach, yeah, they've got so many fat bodies in them. Yeah, there you go. Mm. But but they don't seem to survive that well after being stepped, stepped on, on, do no. they? No. <laughs> but a, a nuclear – you know, some radiation will still impact cockroaches as far as I know. But yeah, sure. they do seem to be pretty good at – getting into areas and being sent in areas that aren't great for humans to be in, for example, hostile Mm. environments. So these Japanese scientists have said, we could create some little robots, we could create some little flying robots, but that's a lot of work to do all that. We just need some monitoring to happen, but how can we get the monitoring to happen at the place that we want it to do? I know, let's take something that already exists. Let's take a cockroach, for example, and just put some equipment on their back and then send them into places we want to look at. So it might be somewhere where you're checking some radiation levels, but it might be some other things that might be in the air that humans don't want to breathe. It might be down a mine site, for example. But then those pesky little cockroaches... They're just going to run wherever they want to go. They do. So how are you going to tell <laughs> the them... mind of their own. Jimmy, just go over to that corner, stand there for five seconds, then come back. We can check the radiation levels. We need better cockroach trainers. Well, we don't, because this particular <laughs> device actually links up to their legs and just directs the Stop it. Yes, so it. we're still dealing with real cockroaches. We've got a real this is a Madagascan cockroach. They're about six centimeters long. They attach the wireless leg control six module. Of cockroach. That's a big cockroach. <laughs> it is, isn't it? I thought the same thing. I don't want that crawling around in my house. <laughs> it's making me skin crawl. So they connect these wireless leg control modules and a little tiny lithium polymer battery, and then they have that on each side of the cockroach so they can actually control the legs of either side of the cockroach and send it in the direction <laughs> ah. they want. They also then put a 0.004 millimetre thick organic solar cell on the back so that it can keep charging the battery. And the little device, that solar cell, outputs 17.2 milliwatts. And that's basically enough for them to go in detect whatever they're detecting, the air quality, etc., and then it can send it back wirelessly, but normally they just get it to come back and take the data off there because the wireless signal is not that strong, as you can imagine, because you're sending out something from a very small battery cell and a very small solar cell. So they do send these in to various places and they'll run around for 30 minutes or so and then they'll come back and say, here's the data, Jimmy, let's go (laughs) off and do my next mission, please. And, of course, these are going to take over the world very shortly, cyborg (laughs) cockroaches. Cyborg. Well, imagine an army of cyborg cockroaches. Imagine. imagine Folks, we don't alarm you or anything, but it's time to start. (laughs) Doomsday prepping. Start sealing the bottom of your door now to make sure those cockroaches can't get in there. <laughs> if you do see any cockroaches around your home, before you squash them with your shoe, have a look to see if there's any solar panel equipment or batteries <laughs> on the back of them because they might be being sent in by the Japanese scientists. I'm sure they're not using for that, James. I'm sure they're using it for... Provided they're not fitted reasons. with lasers on their backs as well to <laughs> zap people. and. Well, they'd be pretty low-power lasers <laughs> when you're talking about okay. the sort of battery you've got there. That makes anyone feel more comfortable. Yeah, okay. 
But for the time being, they're low-powered batteries. Well, that's right. For today, these are cyborg cockroaches. But tomorrow, who, who knows? knows? Who knows? Cyborg <laughs> elephants. <laughs> <laughs>
how fast can things really get? And will this make a lick of difference to me? And then, after using said super fast tech for a little bit, going back to the old tech is like slipping into the Stone Age, of course. Where am I going with this? Well, the next gen USBs are going to be faster, twice as fast even. And get this using cables that you already have. Matt, that's the bit I really like. Ish. Oh, sorry, ish. <laughs> if you've got a relatively modern USB-C cable, then it will probably conform to the new standard. If you've got an older USB-C cable, then it probably won't conform to yeah. the new standard. In for a world of disappointment. Well, it depends how long ago you bought your cable and what quality they were and a whole range of things. But the new USB version, four, sorry, USB 4 version 2 says it will go at 80 gigabits per second, which sounds pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. And as you said, the last one, USB 4 version 1, went at 40 gigabits per second, so it is twice as fast. USB-C does confuse people a little bit. We have talked about USB-C a bit, and obviously Europe's moving that way for all charging cables. But you've got in USB-C, you've got things like USB 3.2, USB 3.2 Gen 1, USB 3.2 Gen 2, Gen 1X2, Gen 2X2. So you've got a whole range of different USBs. That's just in 3.2. We've also got USB 4 now. Bottom line is, if you went out and bought a USB 4 cable fairly recently and it was a fairly robust brand name in the market rather than just something that was really super cheap that you saw with a no-name brand on it, then probably the USB standards committee will have it to the point where it will work at this 80 gigabits per second. Now, just to pour a little bit of coolish water on all of it... <laughs> the USB standard has not been officially adopted yet. There is a group that involves a whole range of companies, Intel, Apple, Microsoft, HP, Texas Instruments, I haven't heard that name for a while, and they will make a decision on the new standards and we announced on November 15 and 16 at a conference in Seoul. So that will then say the exact standard and that will tell you definitely whether or not this is all going to work. So it's called the promoter group, that group of all those tech companies in it. But at this stage, they're saying that once it's implemented, once the full implementation comes in, 80 gigabits per second with the current standard of cables if you're using the latest version. Sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty good. Now, 80 gigs per second sounds like something that would allow you to transfer maybe a Blu-ray, CD, DVD, 4K version of a movie in about five seconds. Yeah, so when you quick. think you don't really need that, once you started using that, as you say correctly, and someone had an older device and you had to transfer it and it took 10 seconds, <laughs> you'd be saying, what? How can you, you sit there for 10 seconds waiting for this movie to transfer? Waking. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but anyone who's you know, 40 years old or older is going to know that you know, when, once you, um, in the days when you used to have to download these movies, and it took like hours and hours and that's hours. Right. You basically had to do it overnight. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> How many things do we do where we'd go and start it and then go away and do something else like sleep for the night yep. and then come back to it the right. next morning and then something happened overnight. Oh, uh. I've got to start it again. No. <laughs> Whereas now, if you had to go and get a cup of coffee and come back to it and it wasn't finished, you'd be thinking, well, why is this yeah. technology so slow? So are we becoming more impatient? Is that part of our problem? I think that's a big problem. We are becoming more impatient. Definitely. I've done science on it. Now, have you seen the new MG ads on TV? We've been talking about how EV manufacturers aren't that fussed about exploring the Aussie market, but it seems that MG missed the memo, and they're going for broke with their new EV SUV. The new MG ZS is out and about with a cracking range and a very, very reasonable price, folks. Matt, this is going to turn heads. It's the most affordable electric car in Australia, which is great. 
Now, it's going to be under 45 grand, which I think is fantastic. People start to think about it a bit more. And we've talked before about the fact that petrol prices are becoming dearer and dearer. Running costs of an EV are becoming lower and lower, or in relative terms, lower and lower. Maintenance is minimal. And the resale value, that's the big thing here. Mm. In five years' time, if I try and sell my ICE vehicle compared to my EV, well, the resale value of that ICE is going to be so low. So I think the overall cost of ownership... There's a so when you say ICE, you mean internal combustion engine vehicle. Correct. Sorry. Gotcha. My apologies, James. <laughs> I assume all our listeners are incredibly intelligent yep. and onto that gotcha. Um, gotcha. Gotcha. acronym, that ICEV, maybe I should call it, ICEV and EV. One of the things that a basic calculation I've done is that if I drive 15,000 kilometres a year or more... My $35,000 ISEV is about the same price as a $70,000 EV, which is a big claim to make. Mm. But when you actually do the calculations with petrol prices, maintenance, and depreciation, that's sort of the rough calculation you're getting. So when you start talking about an EV for 45 grand, you're getting down probably to maybe the equivalent of a fifteen dollars to $20,000 ISEV. Mm. That's pretty exciting. And it's not too bad. I've driven a couple of the MGs. And to be fair to car manufacturers out there, the MG probably doesn't have quite the same finish or polish mm. as maybe another higher-end luxury car. But let's face it, it's a $45,000 car, not a $70,000 car, so mm. you expect that. But in some of the specs, I think this is going to be really popular. It's got a 50.3 kilowatt-hour battery. It's got a range of about 320 kilometres. Now, we've talked before about range. People are obsessed with range. Mm. But if I'm living in a metropolitan area and I've got a... 30-kilometre, 20-kilometre commute to work each day, and every day I'm doing that back and forth and I'm running up 60, 70, 80 kilometres on my car every day and I'm paying $2.20 or more for petrol, then having a car with a 320-kilometre range is probably going to do me for most of my trips I'm going to do. If I want to go and do that big trip driving from Sydney to Perth, for example, I'm probably not going to take this vehicle to do that. But for my daily commute, that sounds pretty impressive. Hmm. So that's all good. You can charge up a number of different ways. It's got a, a fast charger. You can get to 80% charge in less than an hour at one of the 50-kilowatt public charging sites. Most people won't do that. The convenience of charging at home, drive it for a few days, drive it for a week, and then just plug into a power point at home. That's what most people will do with it. Most people are about 80%, no, no, sorry, 60%, NRMA said about 60% of all charging is done at people's homes because mm. it's convenient to do mm. that. And you can use off-peak electricity or fairly cheap electricity to charge it. It's not too bad. I mean, I, I love some of these numbers. Zero to 100, it's 8.2 seconds. Now, my first reaction to that was, oh, that's not really that good because I think of EV speeds. But if I go back when we didn't have EVs, I go back, say, 10 years ago, someone had an 8.2 second zero to 100 time it was not a supercar, but it wasn't too bad. Yeah. Many cars out there, 9, 10, 12 seconds. So 8.2 seconds in our normal world is pretty good. In EV world, yeah, there's lots of cars out there that do 4, 5, 6 seconds. But again, this is a 45 grand car, so that's not too bad. So again, you look at a whole range of things and you think, yeah, for someone just getting out there, wanting to get a good little basic commuter car, I wouldn't go too far wrong in looking at some of the MG range if you if you are worried about that initial purchase price rather than the big picture of the overall total cost of ownership. And good on them for um, really kicking up the game in Australia. Yeah, and we need we absolutely need that, James. We need some people to stir it up in Australia. And the competition is not so much about trying to be better than the other EVs. It's about getting people to think differently about their ISEV purchase and mm. start to think about, do I need my next car to have petrol do i really need that let's let me think about it when those prices come down to those sort of levels that's when people start to question 
their logic. Do I really need that petrol car? Do I can I justify that? Once a year I go on that big long trip and drive a thousand kilometers in one weekend to get to that big holiday site. Or do I need a car that chews up petrol all throughout the year for that once a week? I do it. Maybe mm. all the money I'd save during the year I can buy plane tickets, or maybe I'll hire a car for that week or mm. whatever it might be. Or I've got two cars in my family. Well, maybe this is the second car that I have in the family to do the running around and we have the other car for those big long trips, whatever it might be. But 45 grand, less than 45 grand, it won't be long before we'll crack the 40 grand barrier and then people will really start to wake up to this. And uh, can it happen soon enough? And on the subject of super EVs, Mercedes do love a headline and they hate being left out of a game. So you could probably guess that, that when they step up to the crease, they're carrying a bat that's industrially and graphically designed to hit some sixes. Matt, what are the big hitters that Mercedes brought to the EV game now? Well, we're going from one extreme to the other. The yeah. MG at its yeah. 45 <laughs> grand. We're jumping up to about eight times the price now. Wow. You're talking about $328,000 plus on road costs. So maybe 350 grand, maybe a few options in there as well. But Mercedes-Benz AMG, which is known for its performance range, mm. is not the sort of brand that says, let's just look at the cost yeah. of this. <laughs> they look at the performance. They look at what extra super fancy tricks you can have in there and they know that their customers are not coming in and counting their pennies out before they make the purchase. They're mm. saying, I want it, I'll have it and I know the money's sitting there to actually purchase it. So mm. this is great to see the other end of the spectrum where AMG is saying, you know, we've had some pretty nice V8s and some V12s and even some of their nice little turbos they had in the AMG range that were really quite nice and sounded really nice as well. Let's mix it up a bit and finally get into the EV game seriously. And they are doing it seriously. So this is based on their full-size Mercedes-Benz EQS sedan. It's got a 107.8 kilowatt-hour battery. And I was trying to think of any other EV I know of with a bigger battery. And I, I can't think of one. Tesla, their Model S, has got 100 kilowatt-hour. I don't know of anyone bigger than 107.8. The Hummer might be the only one that I can think of. But I was thinking of ones in Australia. So Hummer's not in Australia yet. So that's a big battery. Even with its acceleration performance, which I'll get to in a moment, they claim 585 kilometres, and that's using the WLTP standard, which is a fairly realistic real-world standard. So a bit like with fuel economy of cars, the original EV range, you'd look at the range and it'd say 632 kilometres range, and you'd drive it in the real world and you get 500 kilometres. Yeah. This is 585 because it's got that big battery which I think will be pretty close to what you deliver it at. If you're doing 180 kilometres an hour on an autobahn, probably not. <laughs> but if you're driving around Australian roads, there's nowhere that I know of that's above 110. Do we have anywhere above 110 in Australia? Well, don't they have provisional um, speed limits in the Northern Territory? Oh, Northern Territory, it's kind of unlimited in inverted yeah, commas, yeah, isn't yeah, yeah, it? Yeah. Unlimited if you're driving safely. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> but, okay, that's a good point. But I'm thinking of roads that we drive around yeah, here. Yeah, they don't have an autobahn in the Northern Territory. No, they don't. And the roads probably couldn't stand going at the speeds yeah. an autobahn can. Doing 100, 110, or even just around cities at 50, 60 k's an hour, which would seem like a waste in this car, then you're probably going to get that 585 k range. Just when you look at the power, 484 kilowatts, 950 newton metres. Now, if you go and look at a 6.2 litre V8 Commodore when Commodores were around, so when you'd get those high performance 6.2 litre, that's a big engine. And I can't tell off the top of my head what the specs of a 6.2 litre V8 engine are, but I know. It's not 484 kilowatts of power and it's not 950 newton metres of torque. But more importantly, when I'm sitting in this nice little AMG and I put my foot down from zero or I put my foot down from 60 k's an hour or 90 k's an hour, 
all that torque, almost all that torque is available throughout the entire river range and almost all that power is available through the entire river range. Wow. Not like a normal ice where you've got to get it to a certain speed to get all that torque. You know, it's got its maximum torque at a, maybe a low revs, maybe one and a half thousand revs, maybe 2,000 revs. All its power might be at, say, 4,000 revs. So I'm revving it, getting it up to that speed before I've got all that torque. Whereas an EV, that's the thing I love about it. From every speed you go, you've still got that torque and that power available. So that's pretty impressive. That'll get it from zero to 100 in 3.5 seconds. That's fast enough. Faster than the MG. (laughs) (laughs) But again, you're paying, you can have eight MGs for the price of this one Mercedes-Benz. But again, when people want to think about performance cars, think of something like the Porsche 911. It doesn't do zero to 103.5 seconds. And they're the sort of cars that people think of when they think of performance, and Mm. EVs just blow them away. Mm. EVs that are well-engineered, designed for performance, blow them away like this. So this is something that I think for those people who like AMGs, I'm sure they love their beautiful sound of those V8s and V12s. I'm sure they love the whine of a turbo. But when they see the performance of this and they talk to their mates down at the pub and say, we're doing a track day tomorrow, won't you come along with your pretty little battery motor and see what you can do? And they get blown off the track. I think some people are going, wow, it's time for me to think about it's, things just yeah, differently. The winds have changed are blowing for sure. Yeah. Now inside, it's got a big 1.4 metre wide hyper screen. So when we thought Tesla did it well with a 17-inch iPad type screen, well, forget that, 1.4 metres. So essentially the whole screen in front of you is what they call their hyper screen. And that's almost fully customizable. So essentially you can put a range of different things on that screen in a range of different locations and that can all be updated with software. So it's just like a, a big screen that then can have various apps or components put into that screen. So these oh, wow. are the sort of things you're getting, the flexibility that you're getting out of all of this. So it's a nice looking car. It's got some incredible performance, but this is where we're getting this this range of EV models out there from the very high end to the very low end base model like the last story. So you're getting this range and that range will obviously drive change in people's purchasing behaviour and you'll see these more and more on the road. And not available in Australia just yet? Uh, not too far away. So you're getting there. I think Mercedes-Benz are looking that they need to get into the Australian market. So I think you'll see this in Australia before too much longer. Oh, very good. And as if we could get too much of talking about EVs, yeah, right. It's time to wind this episode up. Matt, thank you for another cracking tech talk. Well, good to see. It's probably a bit longer than today's episode. We had a few extra things to talk about. But with USB 4, you can download this episode super fast to your device. I'm off to hunt remote-controlled cockroaches with my mechatronic fly swatter. Uh, thanks for turning in, uh, turning, turning in, try tuning in once again, folks. I'm James Eddy, and it's been an absolute pleasure to bring you Tech Talk once again. Have an excellent week, and we hope to catch you again next time. Regular as digital clockwork. <laughs>